0: From 99.9 The Fan, this is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com.
1: Starting five here on The Drive with Tim Donnelly, brought to you by Window Nation. Uh, we're going to start with news that broke a little bit earlier today. It's number five. five it. First of all, the Pac-12 is down to the Pac-4 for the moment. Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal. There are some very big impacts from that. Here's Heather Denich, uh, who, who covers college football, to talk about the impact of uh, the Pac-12 being likely gone.
0: It just blows my mind that we're asking this question, especially about such a prestigious academic institution such as Stanford. And it's quite possible that they could land in the Mountain West But why that's so significant is because their operating budgets at a school like Stanford, which has about 26, 27 sports, is usually around 30 million or more. And so if they were to join the Mountain West and take a significant financial hit, their sports would have to be cut, almost certainly. And I'm going to give you something to think about here, because Stanford is like a pipeline to the United States Olympics. And if you're cutting those sports, you are certainly cutting and hurting some United States Olympics rosters. I mean, I don't know if people are thinking about that, but that is a macro version of what we're talking about here.
1: All right, let's address a few things from what Heather Danich just said there. Uh, First, Nobody is thinking about Stanford's ability to produce Olympians. They're thinking just of meteorite steals in college football. Uh, Two, they could likely keep all of their sports if they join the ACC. Pete Thamel reporting earlier today, uh, according to his sources, in the next 24 hours, there's two calls for the Atlantic Coast Conference, that's the ACC, to vet and have early exploratory discussions on the potential addition of Cal and Stanford. One is for ACC athletic directors, the other for the league's presidents and chancellors. Whew. Okay, so the Pac-4 jokes are fun, right? Because I don't know who thought it was such a good idea to put numbers of how many teams at the end of conferences. The Big Ten doesn't have 10. The Big 12 doesn't have 12. And the Pac-12, four? <laughs> I don't, could, could it not just have been the big conference, the Pac-12 and some the Big South or something like that? Uh, but that's neither here nor there. The Pac-4 jokes are funny. Right? Oh, okay, haha, ha, they're down to Pac-4. It's going to be the Pac-2. by What it really was was a target, right? If if there is anything valuable left in the Pac-12, one of the conferences with means are going to go loot, right? They're going to go take the opportunity to grab what isn't protected. And right now Stanford and Cal are the, the most attractive things that aren't protected, and the ACC is going to talk about it. They're going to talk about it. Now, I don't know if it's earth-shattering. I do know that it'll be taken with, I would say, very similar reaction to how Washington and Oregon joining the Big Ten was taken, right? You're going to hear complaints about travel. You're going to hear complaints about uh, academic mistime. You're going to hear complaints about rivalries not being there anymore, right? Stanford, Syracuse doesn't seem like a you know, 100-year-old rivalry. But, you know, going back to the, the discussion we were having earlier, if you're going to be in a zombie apocalypse, right, if if the, the end of college football as we know it is coming, Stanford might not be the worst buddy to have in your foxhole. Forty billion dollar endowment. That itself, the financial, the financial impact of it, just it's just significant. They're just stable, right? Nobody gets to tell Stanford what they have to do because they have forget you money, right? They have uh-uh. I'm gonna do what I want, money, which is maybe a risk to join with them because they might say we're doing this, and you're like, no, help us, and they're like, we don't have to. But uh, but I I still think Stanford football is a brand. Right, I still think Stanford-Cal is a rivalry is a brand. So I'm 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 not against it. I think they're too late to the party. I think the ACC should have been looking to expand long before now and and been a little bit more active. But, you know, it's a goodie bag. You may not have left with the big prize, but you got a goodie bag. Number 4.
0: We are the Four Horsemen. Woo!
1: Justin Houston signs with the Panthers. And like let's let's acknowledge a few things. At this point in the offseason, the Panthers were not gonna get like a Bosa. You know what I mean? They were not gonna walk out of there with Miles Garrett or TJ Watt to fill a hole in their roster. Usually at this point in the season, you're you're you know, I I the metaphor I say is you're looking in the dented can aisle, right? The, the the clearance rack. Nothing is gonna be perfect. Justin Houston is 34 years old, and he's an edge rusher. So the the thing you have to worry about, injuries, the thing you have to worry about, uh, can he play a full, full rep count? Can he p- play a full snap count? There are flaws with Justin Houston. He's not a 15-sack-a-year guy anymore. But he had 9.5 last year, and at the very least, you know he is a, a veteran that will step in, be professional, might be able to – mentor and edge rusher like DJ Johnson uh, like uh, Amari Barno or whoever you want him to to, to, or Brian Burns even heck Brian Burns is you know in line for a gigantic contract that doesn't mean he can't learn from a guy with 110 plus sacks like Justin Houston but the other thing it is right when you look at them signing Justin Houston to a one-year deal worth set up to 7 million 6 million guaranteed is it puts even further the Panthers' intentions on the table, right? There's no hiding it anymore. They're going to try to win the division. I think that's smart. I don't think you should do anything to put winning the division above the development of Bryce Young. The development of Bryce Young is number one. But there's no reason not to go for it, not to try to make the playoffs. You're in a bad division. Go ahead. You were that close last year. That close, a good team last year. So, so I, I kind of look at it and say, there would be if you were in a in a division with uh, like one or two really really good teams. If you were not a very good team last year, if if you did not think you upgraded your your talent level in the off season in many ways, like if not if those weren't the case, I think it wouldn't make sense to bring in a 34 year old on a one year deal, right? Because it would be like, what are you trying to do here? However, because you do have talent on your roster. You are a bat in a bad division. Uh, you did almost squeak in last year, and you feel like you've upgraded your roster in many ways. Go get it, right? And, and I'll even say this. Helping the defense aids in the development of Bryce Young. The best thing you can do for Bryce Young is allow him to play the playbook as it's designed, which means run the ball, which means play action, which means screens, which means uh, not facing uh, eight guys dropping into coverage every single play, not facing prevent defenses, not facing two shell every time. And the way you do that is by keeping games close. If your defense isn't very good, or even if your defense outside of edge rusher is is very good, but your edge rushers aren't, this is a passing league. If you give quarterbacks, even the ones you think aren't very good, all day to throw eventually receivers are going to get open, right? Offensive coordinators are too smart. Uh, Even the quarterbacks you think aren't very good are too good. If you give them all day to throw, you'll get picked apart. So if Bryce Young is is down two scores in the first half every week because your defense isn't getting it done, that's not good for his development, right? Throwing 45 times a game may seem like, oh, he's getting all these pass reps. It's not what you want. You want to set him up for success. You want to set him up to be efficient. You, you want to have the full playbook being executed as it should be. So bringing in Justin Houston, edge rusher, to attract some attention away from Brian Burns, and now they both have a better chance to actually get home and actually pressure the quarterback or Derek Brown on the inside or whoever else, you, if you blitz uh or, or uh, Grugier Hill or, or whoever it is, they have a better chance to get home blitzing Jeremy Chin from the safety spot, I don't care how you do it, they have a better chance to get home, then you're more likely to be within a score, to be in a tight game, to have the lead, which is what's best for Bryce Young. So this is killing two birds with one stone, right? You sign Justin Houston, gives you a better chance of winning the division, better chance of getting playoff experience, and puts Bryce Young in a better situation to develop. Where's the problem, right? Where's Where's the downside? I don't see it at all. Justin Houston signs with the Panthers. I think it's a it's a great move. Number three. One, two, three. The United States women's national team lost in PKs to Sweden, and their World Cup run is over. I'll, I'll tell you the way that it seemed to me. Uh, it seemed like they were playing a video game, right? And I'm I'm not talking about a like, like a, a not FIFA, no, no, not FIFA. I'm talking not like a modern like PlayStation. I'm talking about like Donkey Kong in an arcade, right? Where you have the the couple buttons and the joystick, okay, or or Frogger or something like that, and you get you get like three or five lives, and they they died quick with their first lives, and it didn't up their intensity at all, right? Like you know if anyone that's ever played and I maybe I'm dating myself a little bit here. Anybody that's ever played at an arcade, one of those like you have three lives or you have five lives, once you get to that last life, oh, you're locked in, yeah. right? Like like you don't it's it's or Pac-Man or something like that, like okay, let's go. Like you're going to you're going to they used up their lives in group play, right? They tied the Netherlands they they drew against portugal and it's like okay those are two lives gone and then they came back in the the group of or the sorry the the knockout rounds and it was the same intensity and go back to the analogy you just used it seemed like in those previous two matches they waited until their last life in that game even in, in, to in to the turn individual it on. games exactly it's like a microcosm of what their whole thing was but i i it didn't feel like the attack obviously the defense played well cuz the offense you know, the attack wasn't scoring goals yet. They were still in all of these games, but the attack, it felt like they never revved the engine. They just, they, they it, it just never happened. You keep waiting around for I don't know, Alex Morgan to say, Oh yeah, this is what I do. Right. Give me a through ball and I'm going to go put it in the back of the net or, or any of, I mean, any of them, it just never felt like it happened. And, and I wanted there to be the, the more, the, like, you got something else in the tank. You got another gear. Let me see it. And it just never came. And because of that, you're the number one team overall, the number one ranked team in the world. You're out in the the round of 16. That's disappointing. It almost felt like for those veteran players that were on this roster that we're so used to seeing Mm -hmm. in big-time moments – it almost felt like their farewell tour without being officially announced as their farewell tour, so there wasn't that extra motivational factor to it, it right? It, and, and you also learn, right, when you have I'll, – I'll use this as the example, uh, the Brady-Belichick argument, a classic, right, a true barroom classic. When you're together for so long, right, you really don't know, like, who was – the one setting the culture right like alex morgan carly lloyd megan rapino uh julie Ertz was still there on, on this one but there were um a ton that that kind of were together for a decade right turns out the one setting the culture in the locker room is a really strong one may not have been alex morgan and megan rapino and julie Ertz. it may have been carly lloyd and and Uh, some of the other players that were out there over the past 15 years because they left and it felt different. Even though some of the main characters were still there, it felt different. So I don't know. There needs to be a reset. Maybe this is the thing that lights the the fire back into the United States women's national team. But, I mean, at no point in time did it feel inevitable. There were times in each of the last three World Cups, even the one they lost to Japan in the final, uh, it felt like inevitable. It felt when they lost to Japan, it felt like a massive surprise. I wasn't surprised on Sunday. I was like, well, yeah, they played the exact same way they played the last two matches. So they played a better team in, in, in Sweden than the Netherlands or Portugal. Why would I be surprised by that? Let's get to number two.
0: Just
1: Maxwell Award watch list member leading returning receiver wake forest wide receiver donovan green out for three to five months after suffering a non-contact knee injury the first week of any training camp i wish we could go speaking of video games i wish we could go full like madden and turn injuries off the first week of i mean we saw it in the nfl The first week, they are brutal, right? Because everybody is so optimistic. Everybody is bouncing around. I can tell you right now, Wake Forest football was on a vibe until Donovan Green went down. Non-contact grabbing at a knee, that will suck the life out of a practice in college football. And then you, like... Right, you could be on the other side. You know, multiple practice fields. The maybe the the I don't know defensive line are in one far corner, and the wide receivers and quarterbacks are on the near corner, so they're far apart. And and the the defensive line will feel like a cold air go over their skin, and it'll be like, oh no, someone's hurt. And they'll turn around and they'll see a guy on the ground grabbing at his knee. And when you see it's Donovan Green, that's the 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 two piece. Right, jab jab, boom, knockout blow. That's, that's Donovan green is a leader. He's somebody who, who missed the entire 21 or 2021 football season with an injury comes back to have a great 2022 builds momentum to be the number one wide receiver. Now that AT Perry was drafted into the NFL uh, is, is a big part of how Wake Forest plans on or planned on easing the burden on Mitch Griffiths in his first year as a starting quarterback. Like all of this is happening and it doesn't I mean it feels like as soon as you you blow the whistle on the first practice, he's out three to five months. He's a reliable receiver for Griffiths in his first season. When you look back to Wake Forest's football season last year, I mean thirty-seven to thirty-six win against Liberty. Thirty to twenty-one that game was close up until the final like five minutes of the game, a thirty to twenty-one win loss at NC State. Thirty-six to thirty-four loss against Carolina, thirty-four to thirty-one win against Wake Forest against Duke. You know he's the kind of player you need in the field in those game-winning drives that could either turn a game into a win or could change those losses into a win. I mean, very, very obviously, right? He he's a big, you know, he's a returner also, right? So he has that skill set, and I always believe that guys that come up as as returners they are much more of a big play waiting to happen. And if you are a bit, I don't want to, like, its Wake Forest at times is is not this way, but at times it feels like, you know, they're trying to develop players, right? They get a three-star where someone else, the big bad bullies in the ACC might get a four or five-star. and And when you are in that situation occasionally, a couple big plays evens it out right like 180 yard touchdown and, and you make them go 12 plays to score it's like okay now we're even right so so he was somebody that could even the score quickly in many situations and and now he's out he's also one of the one of the highest rated recruits in, in wake forest history six two fast does does all those sorts of things um so it's just it's a blow Right? It's a blow. It'll test their mentals. They still have three separate receivers that are returning that had at least 500 yards receiving. So it's not like the cupboard is empty. It's just think about it like this: if Donovan Green's your number one, Banks is your number two, uh, Morin's your number three, you can go on and on, uh, uh, on and on down the list. Everybody just got bumped up, right? So what might have been one of the best number two wide receivers in the ACC is now maybe a middle-of-the-pack number-one wide receiver, which was maybe the best number-three wide receiver in the ACC. It's now a middle-of-the-pack number-two wide receiver, and you just your your advantages in different slots on the roster goes down a little bit. Um, the, I mean, if there is a silver lining, it's early, right? So if he does try to come back, if he's on the, the lower end of that three-month, maybe there's a possibility for him to play this season, and if he doesn't, maybe he chooses to medical redshirt and come back next year and, and which he obviously can do and use that extra year of eligibility in the future. Uh, you know, he'll be extra ready to go by next camp. Also, if I'm Mitch Griffiths, if I'm Dave Clawson, if I'm that, that offensive staff, uh, you have plenty of time to plan contingency plans, right? It's not like you, you lost a guy that was a big part of your game plan. The night before a game, you lost him right at the beginning of training camp, but Donovan green, brutal and and as always my first thought is always about the player I feel bad for uh for Donovan right he put in all that work all off season first day of camp doesn't get any of the fun stuff right barely doesn't even doesn't make it to like one-on-ones to compete against his buddies right just goes down and finally number one. one Bryce Young will start preseason game one this weekend against the Jets in Carolina Bryce Young will start, so let's 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 break this whole thing down. Right, he uh, will get to see Bryce Young against another team, game like situation for the first time. It'll also be on hard knocks, so we might get a little behind the scenes from the joint practices, a little behind the scenes from the the play in the game. So that's happening. That's cool. Also, the Panthers are playing him. I love it. It's the right thing to do. I don't like the bubble wrap, right? I don't like being so worried about injuries that if it's the right thing to do to play your guys in the preseason, you're too afraid, and, and you put them in bubble wrap and put them on the sideline. I don't like that. Now, if you have a team like I, the, the – the, I don't know, the trend. That's the word I'm looking for. The trend of teams sitting all of their starters for the entirety of preseason started to me with, with – kind of early in Sean McVay's runs with the Rams. But the thing was, he had reasons for it, right? His offensive line were guys like Andrew Whitworth, right? They were old. They had been around forever. They they knew what they needed to do to be ready on week one. Their their quarterback was either Goff or Stafford, and Goff had been around for a little bit, right? And Stafford had been around forever. And his running backs were guys like Todd Gurley who – I mean, he came into the league knowing he had X amount of snaps available in his knees, and they didn't want to waste any of those in the preseason. Like, it made sense for the Rams not to play their guys. For Bryce Young, it makes sense to play him and play him a lot. Now, obviously, I don't want him to get hurt. And I'm not saying, like, throw him out there. Who cares if he gets hit? Protect him, right? Have him out there with the starting offensive line. If you're, if you're, to a point where you're like, hey, should we keep the running back into block or should we put him into a route? Feel free to keep him in the block. Protect him, but understand that he needs to get used to playing NFL football. He needs to get used to playing NFL football. And based on your the move we talked about earlier, they signed Justin Houston, you have some expectations to go ahead and win, right? You have some expectations to go win your division. Don't wait till preseason to get this guy – Knocking off the first game jitters. Or sorry, don't wait till regular season to get this guy knocking off the first first game jitters, or have him get used to NFL speed. Put him out there in preseason. Put him out there in the preseason. Start fixing things. I I, I will say this, and I and I say this a hundred thousand times. It is much easier to learn from film when you're on film, right? Every coach. In, in college or NFL football, when you're in meetings, we'll say, listen, the starter's the one on the film, but I need all of you to learn from it, right? And he's going to sit there and he's going to play back and forward and back and forward all of the mistakes the starter makes. And having been both a backup in college and a starter in college, I can tell you right now, it's it, it sticks much more when you're the one on film. When you're not the one, you go, whether you intend to or not, I wouldn't have made that throw. I would have made the right decision. And you just kind of move on. You don't try to. You want to learn. You take the notes. But it just happens. Meanwhile, when it's you up there, you can't dodge that, right? I can't say, oh, I wouldn't have made that throw. It's like, no, I did make that throw. And they did uh, get a PBU, a pass breakup. So I can't deny that it happened. Film don't lie. I want Bryce Young out there to learn in real time and to watch the film of him. I don't think he's going to learn much from Andy Dalton or Jake Luton or whoever else you throw out there. (laughs) you <laughs> you fix your home up we are the designery north raleigh located at 3030 wake forest road in the holly park plaza we would love to see you or visit our website at thedesignery.com the carolina panthers signed justin houston over the weekend to me it's a very very solid signing matter of fact we explained why uh a a few times today so you can go find that on the podcast find it on youtube right it'll it'll be up somewhere um The other part of it is the impact on Brian Burns. It's almost crazy how – and actually, you know what it is. It is an absolute explanation as to why players make a stink about their contracts because Brian Burns is in a situation where he could make a stink about his contract, but instead he's shown up, ready to work, practices, practices, seemingly with great effort every day at training camp, and because of that, what was one of the big stories at the beginning of camp, can they sign Brian Burns, has become a non-issue, like a non-story. No one's talking about it. So players make a stink, whether it's holding in, holding out, uh, making comments to the media about their contract, just to keep it in the conversation, right? put a little pressure on him. Brian Burns hasn't done that. So maybe... There's a betting on himself, himself element here, right? He's coming up on, on the last year of his rookie deal, And yes, the team has franchise tags available, but before Justin Houston was signed by, uh, before Just Houston was signed by the Panthers, I don't know if Brian Burns was lined up to have a great season, right? I think he would have been circled aggressively on the 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 scouting report by every offense they faced, it would have been, all right, know where he is, right? Know where he's number zero this year, right? Know where zero is. And let's send a running back over there to chip. Let's send a tight end over there to get a hand on him. If if the guard doesn't have work, right, our offensive line used to call it look for work. If you're dropping back and no one's you know, they're only blitzing three, nowhere to go find work. And that would always be, go hit Brian Burns, double-team him, right? He was going to be circled on the depth chart every single play. If you put Justin Houston on the other side, there's at least another guy that's going to be taking some attention, which will allow Brian Burns to have a better season than he would otherwise. Right? It's, it's the whole interior defensive lineman thing. You ever see an interior defensive lineman sign for a whole bunch of money and they bring up the stats and it's like, He's had three and a half sacks last year and and two quarterback pressures, and you're like, why in the world is that guy worth $15 million a year? And it's literally just because, well, he's triple teamed every play, and that allows everybody else to eat. Brian Burns might have had a huge season taking up attention and letting other guys uh, have better success, but his stats wouldn't have been there. Now that Justin Houston is there, might have a bigger, bigger season. And guess what bigger seasons mean for Brian Burns? Bigger money, bigger bigger demands, bigger comps, right? Because that's really what the whole market is about is, is comparis, com, uh, comparable contracts, right? Hey, this player had 17 sacks, got paid this much money. The market has gone up a little bit. I want to beat him by a little bit because I also had 16 and a half or 17 sacks. That's what it's all about, right? That's what the quarterback market is. Jalen Hurts got... 51 million. So Lamar Jackson got 52. So Justin Herbert got 52 and a half per year. So this is why we talk about getting deals done, right? And I always think it's funny when, when a player, and Brian Burns is kind of in this situation, but it happens often. We say a player is betting on themselves, right? So they're going into a contract year saying, I'm going to play very well, so the team has to pay me more money next offseason. Do you know what's the other way to put that? The team's kind of betting against you, right? Because they don't want to pay you a lot of money, and they're like, yeah, sure, go play. They're basically saying, you're not as good as you think you are. So go play. We hope you play well, but we don't think you're going to be worth the number that you're asking us for. So in this case, Brian Burns' situation just got much better. He's still in the middle of a, a... contract negotiation so if i'm brian burns i'm less likely to sign whatever deal the panthers had on the table because now i think i'm going to have a better season this year than i was going to have four days ago think of think of it in in right because defense is a bit more difficult to like conceptually get but like think of it in a more simple way right if you're a wide receiver and you're going into a contract negotiation and you have Baker Mayfield, no disrespect to Baker Mayfield, he can support some some big wide receiver seasons, but you know they're offering you $10 million a year, and you're going, I think I'm going to produce better than that. I think I'm going to play the final year and, and try to get a bigger deal next offseason. And then they switch out Baker Mayfield for Patrick Mahomes. You're probably going to go, I'm darn sure going to play better than that now that I have Patrick Mahomes. I'm definitely not taking $10 million a year. If I wasn't taking it with him, So, Brian Burns, whatever the offer was that the Panthers were giving him, he wasn't accepting it, right? And he was going, I think I'm going to play the rest of this year, and then you're either going to have to tag me, or my market value will be higher, and you're going to have to give me more money. And then they went and got a better complimentary edge rusher. 100% not going to take the deal now. So, either you're going to have to come up to what I was asking for, maybe even a little more, or... I'm just going to play it out and bank that offenses are going to give Justin some attention and I'm going to have a bigger season and get, you know, just two or three more sacks than I got last year and be one of the best in in the league. Because the the fact of the matter is right now with Brian Burns, his uh, sack output from last year, I would say is second tier, right? There's that tier of the five or six best edge rushers in the league. He wasn't up there, but he wasn't far from it. Right. He was two or three sacks from getting up into that upper tier. If he gets up there, watch the heck out, Carolina Panthers. You're really gonna have to loosen the purse strings. Right. That's that's where the big the big money comes in. So for the Carolina Panthers as a team, I think it was a great signing for Justin Houston. I think it makes their defense better. I think it fills a hole that was obvious. I, I, I said this earlier. I said it on Friday, actually. Um The biggest concern I had on the roster was the pass rush other than Brian Burns, right? There was a lot of unproven, some ability, but a lot of unproven in their pass rush. So that was my number one concern on Friday during a a segment we do called Cons and Cons, confidence and concerns. Uh, My biggest concern was it it was edge rusher. They solved that to an extent with Justin Houston. So I think it was a great signing. As a GM, I think you have to know the situation that it puts – one of the more con- one of the more important contract negotiations that you're doing right now, it changes that, right? You have to know that that the situation it puts that negotiation in. So, you may have just given six million dollars guaranteed, up to seven million to Justin Houston. Meanwhile, also made it so you might have to pay an extra two or three million per year to Brian Burns whenever that deal gets done, right? Because, uh, by the way, by the way, follow us on, uh, follow us on on YouTube. Uh, there was a YouTube comment on one of our, our videos a couple weeks ago that said like Brian Burns is solid, but he's not elite. And I kind of get it when you look at his output, but he's three sacks away from being elite. And if Houston helps him get there, that argument's gone, right? That argument to not pay him is out the window completely and totally out the window. So we'll see how it, how it pans out. And I doubt we'll see Justin Houston this weekend, but we will see the Panthers this weekend play against the Jets. I don't care about start playing the starters on, on defense. I think they should play as long as Bryce Young is out there on offense. But on defense, let the veterans get the rest they need. Uh, although it would be fun to see Zach Wilson get the, the fastball look from the uh, the Panthers Panthers defense.
0: I chose William Peace because of the personalized education it offers, which allows students to truly know their professors. It's really possible to make genuine connections with your professors and learn